Well, welcome to another episode of On The Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And today I'm very lucky to be joined by my old buddy, Adam Dawes from Shore & Partners. Now, many of you will already be very familiar with Adam from his uh, performances on Ausbiz, CNBC, where he's very good at talking about the Bank of Japan. <laughs> and <laughs> just thought I'd get that little dig in. Yeah. And, uh, and also, uh, of course, he has been a regular featured guest on the couch when I need to talk to one of my go-to brokers in terms of uh, what's really happening in the market. So Adam is my go-to man in that respect. So Adam, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the show again. Yeah, lovely to be here, Henry. Absolutely fantastic. Well, it's good to have you on board, mate. Now, just before we do kick off, just got to remind everyone that this is general advice only. So please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights that Adam and I talk about on this podcast. So please just remember, general advice only, do your own research. Adam, how are you? It's been an interesting time, I guess. We're coming off the back of a, well, we, we always call it euphemistically a volatile September, but volatile really means negative, doesn't it? Whenever we talk about volatility, we never get concerned about volatility to the upside. upside. We, we always get concerned about volatility to the downside, and we've kicked off October as well. What, what's going on at the moment, Adam? What do you think is happening out there? Well, look, we, you know, August was full of reporting season, full of uh, information and, and, and the market digesting all of the, the I guess, the, the information that has come from June 30 and, and, and before, so the full financial year. So th there's a lot of information to digest and, and we, we got through that. Now, September has come and gone and, and September is generally a weakish month for, for the market. But October is a really good month because we start off our uh, AGM season. And the AGM season is, is really sort of close to the end of October, but it really then gives us some really good outlook for the businesses that are in that are in our portfolios and for the stock market. And that outlook is really what we sort of start to digest and start to make some more investment decisions moving forward. So the uh, October is, is, is a really good month and, and we're sort of bookended by that sort of August, which is a reporting season, September being traditionally sort of weak. And I think that weakness is flowing a little bit into, into that October period. But then once AGM season does start to happen, we'll get a clearer indication. And the problem is with August is that we didn't get any real indication from these businesses because they couldn't give us the guidance. They couldn't give us any information. And that has been really, really difficult for us to then sort of make some investment decisions going forward. So I think we should do okay in, uh, in, in October and then potentially look for a Christmas rally potentially look for November and then moving forward as well. So all of that stuff, I think, is just weighing on the market a little bit. There's lots of talk about inflation, stagflation, uh, all these kinds of things. And that's sort of, I, I guess, making the market just a little bit nervous at the moment. Yeah, we, we do seem to have heard a lot of talk about inflation again. But the, 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 the real worry, I guess, is, is stagflation, which has uh, been mentioned a number of times by a few talking heads. What, what do you think stagflation means? Uh, where do we now? I, I know what it means going back to the 70s. Yeah. Back in the UK in the 70s, when we were doing our homework by candlelight, three day week, and oil going through the roof. Is, is that kind of where we are now? Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, obviously that inflation is 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 going higher, but the, the economy is moving backwards, I think, really, is the sort of uh, um, potentially the traditional side of things. But 
Maybe, yeah, oil. I, I, certainly, there's been re-rating in the energy sector, and that's we're going to definitely talk about that uh, today when you're going to ask me some stocks to, to look forward to. I, I'm definitely going to be talking about the energy sector. But I think, you know, w- w- there's a lot of, and we've heard this word as well, transitory, uh, with, you know, inflation, you know, where used cars are now up 30%. Um, petrol prices, energy prices, those kinds of things, all, all of those things aren't normal. And, and I, I just feel that... Once we get through this and flights, let's say, you know, flights to go overseas, you know, they're sort of 10 grand, 15 grand to get on a plane and, and go one way. Um, that, those are the kind of things that, that that won't last. That inflation won't last and that potentially will come back to the norm. But the real ones, the inflation is food, um, you know, bills, those kinds of things. And they're still within that 2 to 3% range, which is where the market and the government and the RBA and, and the Fed are comfortable with that inflation going forward. It's funny, isn't it? You look at the oil price and we look at the Brent, the Brent price, uh, you know, through $81 at the moment. Yeah. And, and you look around the world and you think, well, you know, China's slowing. Europe is hardly shooting the lights out uk's obviously got some problems which has focused a lot of attention on on oil shortages but that's not really an oil shortage that's a lorry driver shortage yes uh, the us is kind of slowing a little bit we're obviously yet to come out and we're a tiny weenie ant in the world's economy and yet the oil price is just is continuing to go higher is does that make sense to you because it, it doesn't really make sense to me you know if, if the global growth was so strong shouldn't copper be going nuts again shouldn't we see you know, other commodities going nuts. Well, they've all come off. It and you know, like iron ore came off from two twenty, two thirty, yeah, to what ninety bucks. Mm. You know, isn't that showing us what Brent crude could do at some stage? Oh, absolutely. Brent crude could definitely uh, come back. But I think, I think you know, the Saudis have got sort of. I think break even. I think for the Saudis and the Russians is about seventy bucks a barrel somewhere around there. So look, it's a little bit above that at the moment. But I think what's what's fueling that um, higher price rise is that there's been no investment into oil uh, production wells, if I said that right. There's been no new investment into these uh, oil fields or gas fields for the last four to five years. Hmm. And even with ESG coming in over the top of that, there's going to be less new field or production. So anything that's in production at the moment obviously has a finite life. And they're probably modelling that out for another 10, 15 years and saying, well, the oil price should be higher because if there's no new investment and then it takes another two to three years to get those investments to come back online again, we're going to be a gas shortage. There is going to be an oil shortage somewhere down the line. And I think that's what the market's readjusting to at the moment. It's funny because it wasn't long ago that we saw the US, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, fracking industry and that whole, you know, the, the oil and gas coming out of Texas as the swing factor mm. in the oil market in terms they could just, you know, turn the spigot on, turn the spigot off uh, and respond pretty quickly to higher oil prices. But it's kind of cruise just continue to cruise higher and higher and we've really not seen i guess there's been some weather outages with one or two hurricanes etc but we really haven't seen that u.s production kick in to take the sting out of the oil price so um, that's interesting i guess this time around well i think also that 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 production or that production cost for that oil uh, to get to that has to be a lot higher i think they're sort of at 85 to 95 dollars a barrel that's sort of where their sweet spot is and so anything in in that range they'll start to turn those things on but then you've also got to remember that the fracking and and these oil wells that they have and they, and and the, and the fracking that they do 
has a finite life and every time you frack it you get a little bit less in the tank and so it costs more to get the last drop of the oil out of the barrel as such so mm. it becomes uneconomical for these guys and that's definitely been a swing factor i definitely think that'll come through as well but uh, potentially oil will have to be up closer to a hundred dollars before that really starts to take uh, take effect. Okay, well, let's talk Turkey now. Um, what sectors at the moment are you looking at investing in? So let's, let's start with the sort of the big picture, and then we might drill down into one or two stocks yeah. uh, that you like at the moment. Well, energy. <laughs> we <were> just <laughs> there. We go. <laughs> it's an odd lead. Nice segue. I think I think energy is certainly one of those ones that um, it is going for um, an over. We are overweight in the energy sector at the moment. We're seeing a global energy supply crunch, which is going to continue in some natural gas, uh, as well as LNG and coal prices hitting record highs. And most analysts are raising their oil demand expectations uh, going through to the Northern Hemisphere winter, as well as adding further pressure into already sort of tight markets. So I think that's that's something that uh, energy needs to happen. Uh, and we just talked about that uh, cutting of the curtailment of that strategy that they're sort of we talked about with the, the with the groups not bringing on new energy supplies going forward. So yeah, that that's one sector. The other sector uh, that we like is the uranium sector. We do see that starting to continue to move higher and 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 do well. And then the last one, well, it's, it, you know, with the with last night's tech uh, route, as it were. Potentially, some of these tech stocks uh, it might be worthwhile looking back at um, once this sort of uh, latest round of selling starts to fall away. So, there's my sort of three sectors that we want to talk about. Okay, well, they're um, they're, they're probably um, three good sectors to look at. That's for sure. It's, it's interesting in this this tech stock fallback. I mean, clearly, you know, Facebook outages and the whistleblower and all these things uh, have a, an impact on Facebook. But really and truly, when you extrapolate that to our market, what possible effect does that have on most of our tech stocks it just seems you know it's just so sentiment driven at the moment the market yeah. it's, it's, and, it's, and there's a lot of fear as well uh after pay getting belted today i mean i don't understand that because there's a takeover offer unless that takeover offer isn't going to happen why would you be selling your shares at 115 dollars when you're going to get whatever it is 180 or something like that for your shares so yeah it, it's a little bit of a disconnect uh, at the moment with that tech space and you're right whatever facebook does i guess or google or whatever it shouldn't really affect us too much in this in no. space I, I mean i guess with afterpay because you're going to get end up as a square shareholder yeah in the future you know square was down five and a half percent last night in the u.s so therefore you know that's whack afterpay because that's that's effectively what it is now it's a it's a square share yeah fair call well, that yeah. sounds good, doesn't it? Square share. Square share. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's um, let's rip into some of these uh, sectors. So, energy. You know, there's obviously the traditional ways to play energy with Santos and Woodside, Origin, Oil Search, that sort of thing. Yeah. Is is that where you're going with this, or is is there some outliers in there that you think, oh, this one, no, this one's got a bit more leverage? I, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna stay with the with the big boys because really it's the mantra i think in the space of oil and gas as well as a couple of other sectors in our market it's either go big or go home and right. you know we've got santos uh, doing the merger uh with oil search uh you've got bhp and woodside uh, doing a merger as well these are the kind of things that i think that you look at for um the the big boys at the big end of town because they're the ones that are going to run the run the hardest and, and run the first 
wave and then there will potentially there'll be smaller ones coming through later on but no certainly the Woodside deal with BHP, you don't get that kind of A-class asset being uh, put up for sale any, you know, I- anywhere in the world. So I think it's been a really big coup for Woodside to get that. That's going to happen in the second half of next year. So there is a little bit of water to go under the bridge and potentially a little bit of volatility, which is either up or down. But uh, that volatility would certainly uh, be coming through for Woodside's share price. So I'll be just to be a little bit of cautious here, it's sort of $25 where Woodside is. Um, you know, it certainly has been higher and it potentially should be trading at 25 bucks every day, all day. It should probably even higher. Um, but I think Woodside is definitely one of those ones. And then that the oil search in Santos tie-up, I really think that, that there's going to be some real value there. I don't. I mean, Santos has had some really good experience in Papua New Guinea and they know that area very, very well. It's just what they're going to do with those Alaskan oil fields and what they're going to do if they can get some value out of that. Only time will tell on that one. But no, they're my two picks in the space, uh, which is Woodside and do you know what the, the new entity is going to be called? Is it going to be Oil Search or is it going to be Santos or is it going to be a mixture of the two? I don't know. Sand Search. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I really like Sand Search for a good buy. Because there's a lot happening in this sector, regardless of the oil price. There, there is a lot happening, isn't yeah. it? It's, you know, it's kind of transforming the Australian oil and gas sector because it's going to become even more concentrated if you like yes uh, with um, with the bhp woodside and, and santos and oil so there really doesn't leave much else there's the beaches and there's origin but that gets complicated because of uh their uh, electricity side of things and the power side of things yeah okay. um so it kind of leaves beach yeah but they're, they're under a lot of pressure lately aren't they beach mm. um, with with some of their oil fines that they sort of misreported uh, a couple of months ago and um, it's just the, the share price has definitely been under some pressure and, and yes they did the lattice acquisition off origin which again go big or go home that that, that definitely brought them up into that mid-cap space but then this i feel they're getting a little bit left behind from these other mergers and acquisitions or mergers that are coming through that they mm. feel now that they're potentially yeah it is slipping back a little bit so beach yeah i guess third but um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just going to stay with the big boys. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's move on to the next sector that you were talking about was uranium, and I always find the uranium sector a, an interesting one because you know there's lots of talk about uranium and producing uranium, but there's very few companies listed on the ASX that actually produce any uranium at all. Yeah, uh, I think ERA is probably about the only one. There's a number of unlisted things, and BHP, of course, has its yeah. Olympic Dam project, so that's um, that has some uranium exposure. But we talk about Paladin, and you know, it's, it still hasn't resumed mining and needs a price of they've said fifty bucks a pound. Yeah, to even get out of it's, you know, it's like a supermodel. They need that to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> so, so where where do you go for uranium exposure, and why? I guess why uranium. Well, uh, why I think is is the first thing is is that uranium, as you well know, has had many false starts over the last ten years, and is probably one of the only commodities that hasn't really taken off in this last super cycle. You can see my rabbit ears super cycle within Good the rabbit ears. Rabbit ears. Yep. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, uranium 
that start that we had already, I think, can continue to go on. And the reason why is that there's, uh, you would know this, but the Sprott Asset Management have been buying a lot of uranium as a physical commodity in the uranium market. Now, that has certainly helped the uranium to st price to stabilise. And as we know, with all commodities, if the commodity price moves up or down, the share price will follow. And there is a general lag between the commodity price, let's say, moving higher versus then the share price starting to follow that as well. And there's the opportunity for people is to look at these commodity prices and how they're trending to then make an investment decision before the share price starts to follow or lead. And the classic example is Fortescue at $3 when the, um, this was many years ago when you and I were on Sky uh, talking about it at 3 bucks, and everyone else was like, no, no, no. But the, the, the iron ore price had just ticked up and Fortescue hadn't followed, BHB hadn't followed. And then there was that re-rating or the, the gap between that mm. and, and that convergence. So I, I'm feeling that's the same way with uranium at the moment. Uranium has definitely started to move and it has started to stabilise. But really it's Sprott Asset Management. Now Sprott is a gold buyer of storing of wealth, but they're using that as a uh, uranium as a store of wealth. And so they're continuing to buy it. Now they've put over a billion dollars into this thing already, but they have said to the market that they've got another billion to reload and come back into the market to buy more uranium. Mm -hmm. Now that's obviously with something like a pallet and you can see the share price has risen over a dollar and then it's come back to sort of 70, 80 cents and it's just consolidating here and then potentially waiting for that next uh, wave to go up. So I think Paladin is a good buy at these levels, sub a dollar, for that uranium price to continue to move higher. And the other one that I like is BOE. That has got some really good, or Boss Energy, and they're our two picks in the uranium space at the moment. Cool. Well, that's good. I, I must admit, I um, I interviewed Phil King the other week from uh, from Regal, and yep. they're big fans of uranium as well. It's... Um, it's funny, when I first started out in this business back in the early 80s in London, uh, Bunker Hunt and his brother were cornering the silver market. Uh, they were using their own money to corner the silver market. It's good to see that Rick Sprott is using other people's money to corner the uranium market. So it's kind of uh, going back to the, uh, to the 80s in some respects. With, yeah. that, uh, with that cornering of one commodity, that massive accumulation of it. So, all right, well, we've got two, two uranium, we've got two energy stocks, we've got two uranium stocks. Jeez, I'm getting good value out of you today. Um, what about your other sector that you like, technical, uh, in terms of technology stocks? What, what um, give us two there, maybe. Yes, the, 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 probably the, the best thing, I guess, to, to look at for me in, in the tech space is, some of these tech stocks that have fallen back or, or come back uh, to potentially, dare I say, some value. One of the ones that I do think has come back and there is some value is zero. And now, right. I, you know, you, you might laugh at me because the thing has absolutely gone ballistic over the last sort of year or so. But really, there is some really good value, I think, in zero at the moment. They have done some amazing things and will continue to do some amazing things. But really what I think Zero has done that is probably well above anybody else or anything else that has happened is they've started to look at how they can disseminate the data between individual uh, businesses. And once they are able to disseminate that data, they can absolutely look at it and say, okay, well, we can give this person a loan, this person needs this help here, and they're able then with their bots 
to look through uh, a lot of individual businesses and get that moving. So what I feel is, is that potentially Zero could become a, a, a small bank because they've got so much data. And in fact, the bank leans on Zero for a lot of that small to medium enterprise business data to make sure that they can make their investment loans or they can they can look to do those kinds of things. So I feel that if Zero and it will continue to move, but I feel that Zero could become a loan generator, it could become a bank. There is so many things that these guys can do because of the amount of data that they've got. Now, stock sitting at 130 bucks at the moment. Yeah, it looks a little bit toppy here, but this one has impressed everybody going forward. And I think Zero is is certainly one of those ones that can continue to move obviously into profitability and then continue to sort of build out the, the 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 metrics that they have and that AI data that people put into it. So once you're in there, it's very sticky and it will continue to be. And then they've got obviously uh, growth uh, aspirations in the US and, and UK and Europe and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think Zero is, is certainly one of those ones that I really, really like in this space. Zero seems to have been around as a market darling for a long time. It still doesn't make actually any profit. Yeah, I think they turned that profit a couple of quarters ago. It was just like, I'm talking 10 bucks. <laughs> well, we'll probably take not, that. Not 10 bucks, but I'm talking that it was a very, very small uh, profit margin that has come right. through on it. So, yeah, very, very small. And then okay. the other one, oh, do I get another one, Henry? Or, or You do, you do. You can, yeah, yeah shoot. Yeah. Um, so the other one that I really like is Family Zone, FZO. We at Shore and Partners raised some capital for the business uh, a couple of um, months ago now. Jeez, time flies. Um, but Family Zone is moving into the US. Now, Family Zone, if anybody doesn't know what they do, Family Zone is, and we use it, I, I use it at my house. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a, it sits in between your modem and the internet, so it's like another router. And it basically gives you control over uh, what content your kids see or read, what time and how long they can spend on the internet. and if they get free time and you know these kinds of things now it feels like a little bit of uh, helicopter parenting as such but what it is is that really you don't know what your kids are looking at when they sit in their room uh, and my 14 year old daughter uh, i love her dearly and i trust her 100 percent but i don't know what she's looking at on a day-to-day -day basis and whether that's probably just clothes and puppies and things like that which i hope my 14 year old daughter's looking at but but you just don't know and so family zone is this thing where it can actually sit in there sit inside of the the, the environment your house environment protects your house environment but also monitors and gives you control over what your kids watch and look at and they're going into the us they've signed up a couple of uh, very large us schools and they're putting that through the schools which then they think that that will then flow through into uh, individual homes and getting those contracts as well so families own a small little business done very very well but we think that that will continue to do with the acquisitions in the US. So in terms of your own personal experience, can you actually drill down to a granular level and see what she's watching and yep. what she's looking at? Yeah. You can? Yeah. And, and it is kittens and puppies? <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of clothes in there at the moment. My 14-year-old uh, was uh, pushing through. But, yeah, look, it is, um, it, it's fairly um, benign of what she's watching because the, the, the family zone filters out a lot of that YouTube content filters out and you can give certain um, you can give certain things you can talk about certain things with your child about what they want to do and those kinds of things so yeah that's that's sort of where it's at I, I think it's a really good business and it should do well and, and is there an opportunity then for the family zone to use that data that is collected on your daughter or anyone's daughter in terms of what website she likes to then 
push those websites to her on social media? Yeah, potentially. It does It does block out a lot of cookies, so a right. lot of stuff that the other internet uh, providers do use. But, yeah, they, they, they could uh, do that and push that through. At the moment, they're very much about this family safety and, you know, they, they put out emails every week about the sort of the new threats in Fortnite or what you should, what your kids should be looking at Roblox and all those kinds of things. And there's sort of there's a there's a sort of chat forum where you can talk about your problems and yeah, so it's a whole community sort of getting together because it, it started out that my my son was trying to look at Mathletics and he downloaded an app called Mathletics and he he clicked on it and I was walking past. And this, this naked lady came up with some breasts on it. And it was the actual icon of Mathletics that you clicked on. And I was like, what are you looking at? And he's sort of like, oh, and he didn't really understand what was going on. This is a couple of years ago. But then I looked at it and it was actually the icon for Mathletics. But then you clicked on it and it went to a porn site. Wow. So it's really tricky in the way they're trying to get people to view and those kinds of things. And so I said, right, we've got to find a solution went out to the market and had a look at a couple of others and family zone is one that we uh, that we, we rested on. Fantastic. Sounds like a fantastic idea. Luckily, my kids can now roam free. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're old enough to find their own uh, dodgy sites without <laughs> my interference. Um, so, okay, well, we've been, we've been going a while, but I will um, ask you what, what sort of stocks at the moment or have you been taking any profits or anything? And if you have, where have you been taking profits? Yeah, with this market route, it's been a little bit tough on, on the on the profit side. You don't have to say. You don't have to um, have, to have yeah, anything well, you've been taking profits in. But um, Yeah, we, we've been buying a lot of late. Right. Just with this sort of market pullback, I've had a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines and, and sort of waiting for some of these blue chips to come into, into range. Uh, we did take a, a bit of profit in West Farmers uh, for clients that um, a, a couple of months ago when the New South Wales shut down for the first part of this COVID, uh, because and then Bunnings basically turned around and said we can't, uh, you know, we, we we're not going to stay open that kind of thing. We took a bit of profit there. I'm thinking about getting back into that. So some of the blue chips that have that have run pretty hard, we're sort of taking some profits, but. It's predominantly, I've got a lot of buy orders in the screen at the moment and picking up some stocks that have been undervalued. So, yeah, not too much profit side. All right. Now, I'm going to get asked this tomorrow because I'm doing Ausbiz the call. And I know that I think you've been asked this on there as well. They're doing a thing whereby you you have one stock that you hold forever. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's, it's the CSLs of this world or the Commonwealth Banks. What what's the one stock that you would hold forever? Not not the high conviction stocks, but just that will over the long term. If you're giving something to your kids and say, "Okay, mm. son, okay, my daughter, this is the stock for you. This one, keep it for the next thirty years, and it will make you very well off." So the one I chose yesterday for the Osbiz call was uh, Calix. Oh, did you? Okay. Now, um, I, I did actually say uh, put Calix as my sort of pick with Osbiz uh, a couple of months ago, and look, it's done. It's done well. But I really think Calix ticks a lot of those boxes as far as ESG, so environmental. That 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 is definitely environmental. The the amount of contracts that Calix is going to get over the next six to twelve months are going to be huge, and the royalties that they are going to strip out of that on an ongoing basis and, you know, ongoing being the next 10 to 20 years are going to be massive as well. Now, I know you know this stock, Henry, very well. You've spoken to the MD. You've done a lot of work on this one and it has been a really good stock for your investors. But I think that with a market cap of, what, 850 mil at the moment, I think this thing could be over $2 billion market cap. 
So I really feel that if they can win a couple more of these contracts and it's some more of those royalties going through just in Europe, and that's just in concrete, they can then move it to other areas, water. Uh, there's many areas that they can move in this one. I think Calix is a really good buy for 90, 480, wherever it is today. Yeah, 460 um, today. Okay, well, let's come back a little bit more. So 460, yeah, I, I think, you know, anything around here, I'm really comfortable with Calix for the longer term. It's great, isn't it? Facebook crashes, their website goes down and people sell off Calix. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, make, it makes complete and utter sense this month. It does. It does. Sometimes <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, interest rates go up. Apple's sitting on $200 billion US of cash. Interest rates are going up, but Apple's stuffed. You know, <laughs> come on. Really? <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, well, we wouldn't have a job if, if it didn't, you know, would we? No. You know, no. So. no. Well, well, I'm looking forward to trying to think of one that I will be the, the holder forever. I, I'm not sure it would be Calix. Not because I don't like Calyx, but just I think I might have to pick something a little bit more compound interest factor oh, at bear. But also, but also, I guess something that resonates with with uh, a child. That, that's the idea of this: is to to uh, to buy something that you can lock away for a long time and, yeah. and give to your, I, give to your I, kids. I've been, I've been working with my daughter trying to get her to do some more uh, investing, and you know, we always look at you always say to them, well, "What what are you interested in?" And so she reads a lot of books. And so I said, well, where do you buy your books from? She said, Booktopia. I said, okay, yeah. well, that's listed. Why don't we buy you some shares in that? And so it's the first time that she's actually connected how the uh, the, the market works as far as I use a product, I, I can buy things, I, they make profit, and I want to take some of that profit. So, yeah, we bought her some Booktopia shares the other day. It was our first foray into that. But cool. uh, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying with the kids, that they have yeah, to understand. Go. Well, it's, I guess it's part of a lifelong journey of investing. And if, if you can set them on something that grabs their imagination early um, and they know and understand, then it's going to help them get enthusiastic about it as opposed yeah. to, you know, oh, let's buy them BHP and oh, it's, <laughs> it's a, it digs stuff up and flogs it to China. It doesn't yeah. really, you know, doesn't really capture the imagination like something like Apple or a Facebook or something they see in their yeah, everyday Disney. life. Disney's a good one. They all know Marvel characters, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But it's all, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. for Osbys, does it have to be Australian listed or can it be international? Um, I am I would prefer my one to be Australian only because, yeah. you know, it just gets too hard to buy international. It's, I, I know it's a lot easier than it is, than it used to be. And I'm doing it with Andrew Wyland, so I'm sure he will do ACDC, ETF, yeah, Qual, ACDC, VLUE or something like that. It'll, it'll be one of those. Anyway, oh, I digress. I'll watch it tomorrow so I can get your tip and put some money into it. Yeah, well, okay, we'll see. I'll have to come up with one. Uh, right, in which case, let's let's just finish off quickly. Yeah. Um, where do you see the market by Christmas? Uh, look, uh, we, we keep testing that sort of 7,200, and I don't know, I forget what we were today, but um, look, I, I, think, I think overall, I, I think our market will be higher. I think another 7,600, something like that, I think we'll be really happy with, and that will continue to sort of peak new new highs. So, yeah, I think this market will be stronger. I've got a view that this market's got another, before interest rates start rising, which is 2023, 2024, I think we'll, we'll, continue, we'll continue to see good returns in our market. So Christmas rally, I hope that we'll have about 7,600 uh, print for us to all go on holidays and relax until we get back into it next year. Holidays. I remember those. When you could go overseas. Is that what you try to tell me? 
Yeah, I actually because I, I looked at um, flights in November to go and see my mum because I've seen her for two two years, and you could get there but you couldn't get back. Right. <laughs> well, so that, the good thing is that you can do your job anywhere, but whether you well, want to be doing it at two o'clock in the morning, kind of thing. Um, I've been down. I've been down that road, and it's hard work. I have to say, it is hard work. <laughs> it's all right during the week, but at the weekends, it, you have to crash time zones continually, and it's not much fun. Yeah, great. I have to say, but anyway, Adam, it's been an absolute delight as always to chat to you, and you've been very generous with your time. And Shore and Partners is a fantastic broker, and you're, you know, you're my go-to broker. If I ever have a client that needs a stockbroker, you are the man because you. Uh, you are, um, you know, very knowledgeable and very. Well, you've got great backing as well from Sean Partners. Yeah. You know, they've gone from strength to strength. So good stuff, mate. Thank you very much as usual. Yeah, it's I'm been an absolute joy and a pleasure to catch up because it's been a while, but um, hopefully in person, not in the distant future. Can't wait for a Christmas uh, drink with you, Henry. That is going to be fantastic. 